Hi, I'm Jim Stroud, and this is my podcast. Education costs. Can you imagine going to school for four years, amassing thousands of dollars in student debt, and then as soon as you graduate, you find out that all the jobs are being done by AI. <laughs> that's, um, that's not hard to imagine because it's happening to quite a few people. I discussed this with Jean Eddy. She's the author of Crisis Proofing Today's Learners, Reimagining Career Education to Prepare Kids for Tomorrow's World. She has a lot of things to say about that. <laughs> uh, find out what she had to say right after this. The Recruiting Life is a newsletter that gives a quirky view on the world of work and aspires to educate, entertain, and inspire with articles, comics, podcasts, videos, and more. It is produced on a weekly basis by yours truly, Jim Stroud, and is supported by readers like you. Topics in this newsletter include the future of work, current labor trends, the impact of AI on the recruitment industry, and more. Subscribe now and receive it every Monday in your email by going to jimstroud.beehive.com. That URL is jimstroud.beehive.com. A link is in the podcast description. Don't wait. Subscribe now. Operators are standing by. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you? And what do you do? Uh, hi, Jim. I'm Jean Eddy. I am a president and CEO of American Student Assistance. Uh, at American Student Assistance, we help kids starting as early as middle school to get them to help them know themselves, know their options, and make informed choices to achieve their education and career goals. Nice. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Now, uh, could you um, elaborate a little bit on? What I think you believe in, which is that our education system needs to redefine what career success means for today's learners. Sure. Um, There are lots and lots of kids who leave high school um, without a plan. They haven't been given the information they need. They haven't been exposed to the opportunities that they could engage with to be able to really think about how they could have a happy and successful future. And what what I'm proposing is that we all come together to do a better job of helping kids first realize what it is they love to do, what their talents and abilities are, and then expose them to the dozens and dozens of careers that are out there that would align with those. Um, And it's not that school systems don't do a great job. They are doing everything they can within the time that they have in the course of a day to teach kids the basic elements of things. And so how do you infuse career readiness, career exploration into those days? And I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying that teachers right now have packed days. Mm -hmm. I I know you mentioned things like that in your book. What inspired you to write Crisis Proofing Today's Learners? And and how do you envision it making uh, an impact on the educational landscape? What I'm hoping it does is that it shines a light on the problem that we have. Mm. 
You know, we have in the United States right now over 11 million unfilled jobs. Yeah. And many of those do not require a college degree. And a lot of that, and we also have 4.7 million young people between the ages of 16 and 24 who are not any place. They're not in school. We can't figure out where they are. They're not employed. Why can't we do a better job in connecting these young people to the, the opportunities that are out there for them? I really believe that we are letting our kids down. That if we did a better job in helping them figure out what it is they would love to do and can do, and then connecting them through those careers, helping them kind of test and try as they're in high school, that we wouldn't have so many young people who are really wondering what in the world they're going to do when they leave high school. And furthermore, thinking about the kids who end up in college and really don't really know, they don't really know why they're there. Hmm. Hmm. The parents made them. <laughs> well, you know, I would say, I would say you got two things going on here. The first is parents think they owe it to their kids hmm. to have them go to college. And the kids think they owe it to their parents to go to college. Yep. It, it's one of those givens that mm -hmm. we, again, we need to start to break down some of these tried and true things that we have kind of expected from each other. You know, back in my day, <laughs> we, we, we had things like auto tech, which taught you how to you know work on a car. Uh, you had metal tech to work with metal, wood tech. Um, I, I think even had um, home economics classes when really dating myself there uh, in, in the high schools when I was coming up. Um, but those things have, have gone away. And it makes me wonder, um, should we be um, giving students early access to diverse career paths? I mean, everything doesn't have to be college. You can get a really good career in the blue collar space, I think. Um, I, I think it all begins with exposure. Mm. And and I think that it that if those kinds of classes could be brought back again so that all kids could have an opportunity to take advantage of them, that I think it would be an absolute plus. I yeah. think an awful lot of times people think of, well, the kid who, you know, isn't academically gifted is going to go into the trades and they're going to, you know, we're going to kind of push them over there. That's just basically not true. Every kid should have an opportunity to be able to figure out what it is that they're really good at. Mm -hmm. And if and if kids were given a, an opportunity to do that, no matter what it is, you would have more people, more young people involved in careers that really made them feel as though they were contributing to society into their own lives. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Could, could you give some um, some examples of maybe innovative programs uh, across the country that are effectively helping students explore various career pathways? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in Massachusetts, as an example, mm. we've given quite a few grants out to school systems uh, who basically made proposals to us about how they were going to integrate career exploration and being able to test and try things while kids were in school. Uh, primarily, these were classes who that were in seventh and eighth grade. Uh, and we sponsored an exploration program for kids to do that in one of the schools we were sponsoring in the middle of Massachusetts. They had every seventh and eighth grader in that class go through an exploration course that had them try things like, you know, computer programming, some design courses, some other STEM stuff, et cetera. Mm. And 
they did pre and post testing. Um, and at the end of the day, what they found out was that there were kids who absolutely loved it and discovered things that they didn't think they were going to be good at, and they were. And there were other kids who tried things and hated them. But that's that's a plus as well, because they could figure out things that they don't want to do. So that's one. Um, we have also partnered with a school district in Southern California who basically start working with kids even earlier than middle school. They start in kindergarten. Wow. And they basically have kids do exploration classes. And then throughout between kindergarten and eighth grade, they basically take every class that that young person does and relates it to how this can apply in your real life. They bring in people to come in and talk about careers. They bring in mentors. They have people, the kids can follow a day in the life of someone. They can even do testing and trying. Uh, I sat there in some of their classes and was blown out of the water, frankly, how a teacher could make it relevant that if you're in this algebra class, this is how it relates to something you're going to do as an adult. Now, I'll date myself here. Sitting in an algebra class, <clears throat> I was surrounded by people who said, I'm never going to use this. Why do I have to learn this? Does this ring a bell with you? Yes, yes, that was deal. me. I was one of those people. <laughs> so um, so if you can see how you might be able to use algebra later on for something very practical, suddenly the whole world changes. Yes, that's that's a very good point. Very good point. Uh, I One of the concerns I hear a lot from people across, uh, well, usually younger people, um, but pretty much everyone, they're concerned about AI. You know, they're thinking, mm -hmm. okay, I'm in school today. AI is here and it's doing all these wonderful things, all these amazing things. Anything that I learn in school today is, will probably be done by a robot or automated in some way in the future. Now, I know in your book, you talk about the top skills that students mm -hmm. need to obtain in high school for the jobs of tomorrow. Can you, um, can you delve deeper into those skills and explain why they are crucial with so many things yeah. changing every five minutes, seems like? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the skills I talk in, about in the book have things to do with how you can problem solve, okay. how you can be adaptable, how you um, are digitally literate. And of course, that, that with this generation of young people really is not a problem. I would say just about every kid I've ever met who's in middle and high school space, they grew up with digital. They are pretty digitally fluent. Um, and they can manage that. Um, how kids problem solve, how they be able to, how they can communicate. And communication is a big one mm. because most employers will tell you that even when they deal with college graduates, many of them do not know how to write effectively and they don't know how to even interview or speak the way one would expect someone could in a, in a business setting. Yeah. I will tell you that those kinds of skills serve everybody and will always serve everybody well. I love computers. I am, I am very tech savvy. I use tech all the time. But the one thing that you can, and tech works well in that if you want to get lots of information fast, it will take it, it will give it to you. It will search, it will find things. You can get a lot of information. But we still need humans to be able to direct and analyze how that information goes. We'll always need that. And so if kids are adaptable, if they know how to problem solve, 
if they can look at data and, and analyze it, if they can write about it in a way that can convince someone else, those skills are going to be used again and again and again. Most definitely. So I look definitely. at it as a I look at it as a, a partnership almost between, you know, what AI can bring, mm-hmm. but what humans have to be able to have as well. Most definitely. I, I certainly agree with that. I think um beyond tomorrow could be used today. <laughs> I, I don't know how many um teenagers you have in your life, but it's really I had this moment where I'm looking at three teenagers sitting on the on the sofa, communicating with each other through Instagram, even though they're sitting right next to each other. <laughs> and I was like, why don't you just talk to the person? They're right there next to you. And they're like, uh, you know what you're talking about? You know, <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine someone being a sales executive or, or working in a corporate environment if they couldn't talk to the person next to them. Exactly. It's so bizarre to me. So bizarre to me. Uh, what do you see as the uh, the biggest challenges in, in implementing your vision of crisis-proofing learners, and, and how can we overcome them? I well, I think I, I think if we, we if we, if I just look at what I'm going to call the biggest challenge, I, I do believe that in order to make the changes we need to make, we need to have a partnership between informal learning and formal learning. Hmm. And by informal learning, I mean how we deal or how we interact with kids in the digital space. And so at ASA, we do a lot of that, working with kids digitally, meeting Mm -hmm. them where they are, mobile devices, and really try to supplement what is happening in the classroom. We don't want to replace it. We want to supplement it. And we went into this space primarily because there were just too many kids who were going through this process who aren't getting the information that they need. And school systems any system takes time to change. Our school systems were set up hundreds of years ago to affect world, you know, widespread change is is going to take a lot of changing of minds and hearts. And it's not a case of, well, we're going to change this one thing. We'll create a model and everybody will adopt it. That's not how school systems run. They, Mm -hmm. They run within states. They run within individual superintendents. And so in order to make the kind of change that I think we need to make, we need to start almost having a national call for getting people involved to Mm. be able to change these things. And it's not to say that there aren't some really forward-thinking superintendents out there or people who want to make changes. There are. It's just that there are an awful lot of school systems in the United States, and it's simply going to take time. And in the meantime, We've got all these kids going through the system. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, I think it's going to take a lot of forward-thinking superintendents, but I think it's going to take a lot of forward-thinking parents because I'm thinking of of uh, a certain set of parents <laughs> who will say, okay, when you grow up, you're going to be a doctor or an engineer. Those are your choices, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and the kid will say, well, I want to be a YouTube creator and make millions of dollars uh, in front of a camera from my uh, laptop all day. And parents are like, there's no money in YouTube creators. You know, and so how do you, what advice would you give the parents who may be concerned about their children pursuing uh, non-traditional educational paths or careers versus, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever? I think parents have have got to get involved and they've got to get involved early. 
Mm. And I and I when I talk to parents about the, these issues, I always say, you know, you really need to encourage your son or daughter to be able exploring and identifying things that they really love. And I think you can talk to any parent out there who will tell you that at some point in their life, if not this one that they're in, that they're doing a job that they're just doing because they, they you know, it's the paycheck. They have to have the paycheck yeah. or they have friends who are living that same way. I believe that every parent what's wants what's best for their child. And they also want to see that child happy. And so if they get information and their son or daughter gets information early on, oftentimes a parent will be right there with a young person when they decide that, you know, I want to take this path that maybe doesn't require college, but is still going to be fulfilling and is going to let them make a living, which is, I think, incredibly important. Um, we've had, and I think you, you saw in the book, there are examples of young people who did exactly that. They pulled their parents into the process. The one year, woman I'm thinking of went into aviation mm. and engaged with her parents to say, you know, I really want to do this. She'd been wanting to get into aviation since the time she was a little kid, but she basically brought her parents along and they went with her in the investigation and they all became believers at that time. And she's doing incredibly well and making a very nice living for herself. Good for her. She must be a really good salesperson. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how much that would have well, fly, fly in my household. <laughs> well, again, kids need to learn how to become a good salesperson. They need to learn how to advocate for themselves. Some of the things that we do, and you know, you talk about kids on social media, I'm always flabbergasted when I see my grandchildren be on YouTube and they're watching somebody play a game. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> what the charm is in that, but nonetheless, they do that. Um, and some of the, and some of the videos that we offer up to students, that's exactly what we do. And we show them how one person, one young person or another has convinced their parents of something that you never thought they would be able to convince them of. And that's yeah. the that's the kinds of things we kind of encourage young people to do. <laughs> your book, um, your book uh, uh, addresses uh, societal impact on reshaping education and career readiness. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, sure. If if we do the job that I hope we all can do, which is connecting young people to jobs in all venues, I think a few things are going to happen. We are not going to have a skills gap in this country like we have right now. We are not going to have the number of unfilled jobs that we currently have. We are not going to have the number of displaced youth or opportunity youth that we have out there. We're going to have a stronger economy. We're going to have a happier nation. And that sounds really, I know, lofty, but I believe it. I think that, that we can do so much to impact overall society if we do this the right way and come together in the right way. Most definitely, most definitely. Uh, what are some key takeaways uh, you hope readers and, and the podcast listeners listening in will gain from your book, uh, Crisis Proofing Today's Learners? Um, I hope that they will learn to start, that they will encourage their young students to start early that they will be there to listen and to guide as their, their son or daughter is actually getting engaged in this process. And one thing you mentioned earlier, and I also would 
endorsed wholeheartedly. Mm. Have people, have young people, have parents get involved with their school systems. Let their voices be heard about and, and to get involved with the things that are being offered, but moreover, the things they're not. And how they can be partners with their school systems to be able to integrate some of these changes. Interesting. One, one last question, if I may, because I can't resist, because I know at least one particular person is listening. How do you feel about the gap year controversy where someone says, you know what, I'm going to take a year off now that I graduated high school before I go into college and I'm going to backpack through Europe or I don't know, something uh, for a year before I get back into school. How do you feel about that? Should, should the parents say, uh, no, keep keep going because, you know, if you stop now, you might not go back or, OK, explore your life and find yourself and then come back a year later. How do you feel? Uh, well, I will, I'll tell you right up front. Um, I am a gap year advocate. Ah, okay. I believe that I believe that young people, as long as they are doing something that is going to help them in their self journey, that they should go ahead and do it. I know mm-hmm. many young people who have gone out and taken a gap year to go and do an apprenticeship and figure out if they like something or, or they can see what opportunities are in a given field. I've seen other people go out and volunteer in places in different parts of the world to be help them really understand the things that they might want to do later on through working with organizations. Um, and I've known plenty of young people who do that. If a young person says to their parent, there is a, that I want to go and do a gap year, the assumption should not be that they want to take a gap year and just fool around. It should be giving the parents an indicator that they are not ready to take the next step. If you look at all the young people who end up in college, they, they're sitting in college and they're saying to themselves, I don't really know why I'm here. I don't have a direction. I don't have a plan. I don't even know what I want to major in. And heaven forbid that they drop out and then they, they kind of like rudderless. They don't have any place to go. Worse yet, they might have borrowed money to do that. And now they have to repay loans that they really have no means of, of paying it back. If you think about those things, I would say that a gap year is a signal that something need, different needs to happen. Yeah. And I, as a parent, would be sitting there saying, okay, fine, let's figure this out. I like your argument, especially when you mentioned uh, student debt. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge factor. Yeah, huge yeah. Factor. I know, I know some people who are incredibly expensive. Yes, and other people are still paying off their debt mm-hmm. in their middle age. Um and they're not even working in the field that they went to school for. So that's a very real issue. I appreciate you, appreciate you saying that. If someone wanted to uh, find out more information about you, if they wanted to buy your book, if they uh, want to contact you, um, how can they reach you? Well, they can reach me at um, ASA.org. Um, I have a very easy email. It's jeddy, J-E-D-D-Y, <laughs> at ASA.org. Uh, so please uh reach out to me directly, go to our website. Um, my book is on Amazon. I hope I hope parents will read it and get something out of it. I think they will. And to make it easy uh, for the listeners, I'll put a link to your book in the podcast description. Thank you so much That's for great. your time. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you.
Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you again real soon right here with a brand new episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached by email at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And one last favor, if I may ask, please rate this podcast. Uh, Five stars is preferred, (laughs) but uh, please uh, comment uh, with your honest opinion. I really appreciate that. All right. Okay. Until next time. Bye-bye. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.